The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, joining you from the lands of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, the Songhees and the Esquimalt First Nations, recently known as Victoria, BC, Canada. My guest today is Efu Nyaki, a healer born and raised in Tanzania who works internationally facilitating trainings and workshops on trauma healing. I first heard about Efu through my friends Patricia Peterson and Therese Couture. Patricia is a registered clinical counselor who last appeared on this podcast in 2018, episode 95. I think she was preparing to come on her second quest of like at least three that she's done with me. And Therese is a multimodality practitioner. She was most recently on the show just a couple episodes back, episode 219, The Meta Skills of Healing. They both happen to be my dearest friends, and they were each members of the inaugural BIPOC-only cohort of somatic experiencing practitioner trainings. These terms are new to you. BIPOC is Black, Indigenous, People of Color, and somatic experiencing is a trauma resolution modality. So this was the first cohort just for people of the global majority, another term that indicates BIPOC. So they just graduated from that multi-year program. I couldn't be more delighted to be able to recommend them if you're looking for a therapist with an SE background, particularly if you are a person of the global majority, a BIPOC person looking for therapeutic support. I know it can seem like finding a therapist who's BIPOC, who has SE, and perhaps also an attachment theory lens, that can feel like you're looking for a unicorn, but I know two of them, and now you do too. And thankfully, those unicorns are becoming less and less rare, and that is in great measure because of the trailblazing work of today's guest, Efu Nyaki. Efu is a faculty member at the Somatic Experiencing Trauma Institute, and also a professor of systemic family constellations therapy at the Hellinger Science Institute. Efu is also the founder of AFIA, a women's holistic healing center in Brazil. I am delighted, thrilled, honored to welcome Efu to the show today. So Efu, what identities do you lead with? Entity I live with. It's really my name, Efu, and I, I'm, I'm not really used to say she or her or they. I just I use Efu and I identify myself as a woman. Uh, I'm a religious woman, but I don't have to actually be called that. I don't put that as identity. So just simple Efu Nyaki, a woman from Tanzania. It's all over the world now doing the work and I use it as a I will say it's my my calling it's my mission so doing my mission to the world yeah mm-hmm. I initially heard about your work uh, through friends and colleagues who were in the first BIPOC cohort of somatic experiencing certification and I'm I believe you were the lead trainer for that. And I'm wondering if you can 
explain for listeners what somatic experiencing is and why was it so important to have a cohort just for people of the global majority, for, for Black, Indigenous, and people of color? Thank you very much. Yes, it's a beautiful question because it's nice for people to hear this. So um, first of all, somatic experiencing is a method which was created by Dr. Peter Levine, uh, which basically was created for healing traumas. Um, Peter Levine believes that I think many, many, many people in the world suffer from the trauma. Not because trauma is a disease, it's because trauma is a response to a to a uh, an event that was overwhelming and imagine who has not gone through an event that is overwhelming in life that's why i said he, he believes that i think the most suffering things of human being is the trauma yeah that we suffer from from infants to our adult lives and yet we don't actually know we are not aware of it so it talks about this being a response to how we actually kind of approach that overwhelming event where something come and we're like, oh, you know, like, oh, what can I do? Then you stuck there. Hmm? So this somatic experiencing as a method was made to help people to unstuck where they're stuck. Because when we are stuck there that we cannot respond we create in our system a lot, especially from our nervous system, a lot of energy, the fight, flight energy, and a lot of doubtful energy, a lot of emotion we generate. And then we live life like that. We, we can no longer live as we lived before the event. And so just people live like suspended in depression and stress and fight. And then comes also syndromes and symptoms also because after a prolonged time that what happens. So you can imagine also the poor, the global majority, like we call them, the black people, indigenous people, and all of the colors, people of all the colors, that they are minority and yet we call them global majority. Minority because in the society we are marginalized. So you can imagine of the traumas that we have suffered or people have suffered uh, in the system which doesn't see them as they are. Yeah. And I, I, I was also teaching part of the curriculum. I think we want to really bring in systemic trauma you know, systemic trauma, where the system actually is so excluded, it doesn't see some people because of their colors, because of their nature, because of, of their gender, and all this kind of So you're, you're like, you're also stuck. That sometimes you don't know what to, how to respond. Maybe you end up just pleasing so that you can get your daily bread. So when the Somatic Experiencing Institute invited me to do this class, I was so honored. I was so happy because it's something anyway I have been doing on my own in small ways here in Brazil. 
where I am right now, I work with a group of women, a community. I mean, there's a center here. I started with a group of women who are marginalized, who are the, live in the fringe of the society. And they suffer violence, they suffer all this. Many of them are, you know, liter illiterate, you know. And so you, I teach them somatic experiencing to heal their traumas. And then they become like the agent of the society. They are now healing others. When people come here to the center, they're healed by these women. So I'd been doing that. And I think when I was called to work with the people, especially in the United States and also its international training, I was very happy because finally we are touching the community that really needs the healing of trauma. And secondly, that this community is, is now being seen and being included so that we can all live as one in this society without all these fightings that we constant, all oh, this violence that we keep generating among us. So I'm very happy. The first class, and then I was with Francine, another teacher from Somatic Experiencing, and now she's doing other classes. And then another teacher, Dee, uh, from, from uh, Canada, took it to advanced level. Many of them have concluded, and I'm so happy. We will start a new course for advertisement. We are starting a new one in January. Yeah. Oh, the Somatic Experiencing Institute. So we are very happy. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. You've been one of those people. I mean, if you, if you are a person who has been tracking systemic oppression and uh, doing your healing work at some point, it becomes very obvious that the systems we live under are some of the most constant, um, intractable, relentless sources of trauma. And so it's kind of amazing. It's taken so long for um, not just Somatic Experiencing Institute, but many different trainings uh, run out of the West to recognize <laughs> and so there there have been practitioners like you around the world uh who are living and li have lived experience as marginalized peoples who have been doing this work it's just that it hasn't been uh, formalized and recognized officially and it's about time and thank you so much i'm i'm so delighted for all of my colleagues who are going through these new trainings and we'll put links in the show notes for sure to to um make sure that there are more and more practitioners of color um i know that for folks who are sort of vaguely aware of somatic experiencing it from the outside you think oh it's just kind of tracking sensations in your body but one of the things that as a practitioner of somatic work myself we don't realize two things first of all how afraid many people are to feel sensations in the body uh, and also we don't realize how so little can do so much. Something so subtle in the body can be so significant. So there's this sort of strange tension of like not wanting to feel it because we're afraid it's going to be so overwhelming to feel sensations. But then also afterwards being like, wow, I did so little really in that session. You know, I just felt this part of my body and I just like tracked some sensations and it released so much in me. So 
Can you share a little bit more about the SE process and why is it important that stabilization and resourcing are some of the first steps? Like what might happen if we jump too quickly into just sort of verbally processing a traumatic event? Why do we track these subtle sensations? Yes, thank you. That is a very good question also. So the stabilization and slowing down the process it is because the trauma event always comes very fast. Even if it's a, as a question, somebody come and ask you, why did you do this? Uh, if it was, it comes to such kind of abrupt, you, you kind of get shocked and then you're not prepared and you look, uh, and then later on, you kind of blame yourself. I could have said this, I could have said, we end up just staying in the desire of what we could have stayed what we could have done with the energy that stay in the body. You know, it, I think all of us, all of the being, beings, animals, human beings, we were made to survive. <laughs> we are made to survive. That is the main objective of this life is to survive. So if anything comes and it feels like it is threatening our survival, we try to defend ourselves. But when we fail to defend ourselves, then that's where the big trauma comes in. So when these things come in as a trauma, all the all what as I talk about being like an event that is overwhelming, and it doesn't matter what kind of event, you know. So when we actually, when it comes, if then we fail to react because we were not prepared, because it was too much, because we didn't have support. So this is the key. There was no support. We were not prepared. It was too soon. We were too little. We were babies. All of this. So when we are healing trauma, it is very important, first of all, to begin with presence. Have to be present. The therapist needs to be present completely and invite the, the, the client to also be present because when we are present, then we are able to notice that the event has passed. And therefore, we dare to stay here and feel safe. So this support and safety is very important aspect of somatic experiencing. So because when I feel safe now, it means I'm able to say, look around and say, okay, the event has gone. Now I am doing the work to heal this overwhelming energy that it's following me all over the place. And I'm saying this because scientifically, the brain of somebody who is traumatized is always acting as if the trauma is happening now. So stabilization, safety, support, those are all resources really that help a person to say, ah, I can rest. I can rest from guarding. I can rest from being like watching so closely that whatever might kill me right now. Yeah. So, so this is the main reason of doing slowly because it came fast. 
give time to the nervous system to prepare itself for the response. And then resources. I will talk a little bit more about resources, I think. One time I wrote a little article about resource because I have never done any training where we talk about resource. When I did somatic experience for the first time, I thought resource, you know, how we talk resource, you know, like finance and all those kinds of things. But when we start talking about like even the chair you're sitting on, even the floor you're you're stepping on, we can call that a resource. Something that is helping the body to relax and be here and enjoy life. So then I started imagining how much resource we have around us, but we don't notice them because we are not present. Yeah. And so uh, when we are able to orient people to the resources that we have around you know, the danger is there. What is threatening us is there, but there are more resources than that. But we are not aware because we are stuck in the fixation of trauma. So there goes, I think it's important to work with enough resources so that the nervous system can stretch and feel resilient and feel comfortable and relax. Ah, as I'm saying that I could feel my body even relaxing too. <laughs> and you described trauma as a fixation, and that's such a, a, a compelling word because trauma is so compelling. We, we can't look away. And when we decide we're ready to, you know, quote unquote, heal it or face it, the tendency is to want to go right into it, like go right into the jugular, right? And so what happens if we go too fast? When, if we go too fast into the trauma, we re-traumatize the nervous system. The trauma goes right back in and it creates even a stronger, a stronger energy impact that the person get even more traumatized. So, and, and then more fixation will come into it. And they will even be afraid of therapy afterwards. Yeah. Right. So, so we need to be very careful and go slowly and give time for the nervous system to let go of the energy it's holding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Remember, remembering that the trauma also keeps itself in the reptilian part of the brain, which is unconscious part of our brain. So when it is there, when the trauma is stuck there, it's unconscious. Our reactions are unconscious. So that's why we need to go slow so that we can help the person to calm down enough to realize that there is resource around here, there is safety around here, and they are present too. Mm -hmm. Presence is very important, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things that, can, and I, you know, yes, I'm a practitioner, but I speak also personally. I know how sometimes we feel ready. And so we want to mobilize, but, you know, just like you said, if we go too quickly and we flood our system, that's actually worse. So it can feel so frustrating or painful or uncomfortable to go really slow when you feel ready to mobilize, but actually going slower is, is, so much better. So one aspect of SE that can be challenging for some people to understand is this value of learning to detect prodromal 
and pre-prodromal symptoms. You talk about this in your book, Healing Trauma Through Family Constellations and Somatic Experiencing. So can you tell us about these prodromal symptoms and why we want to take time to notice and be with them? Yes. Yes, the important thing that we, you know, when you're working with the trauma, oftentimes there are layers, there are layers of emotions, of memories, of of uh, events that have happened before an event that you're working with. And especially when we are working with symptoms or we are working with syndrome. Uh, because, like I said, yeah, some psychologically trauma is holding us. We are we are vigilant. We are scared. We are angry. Yeah, but actually, physiologically, the trauma after a long time it actually creates syndromes and symptoms. I can share that. So now, when we get to syndromes, and the syndromes could be like uh, migraine, migraine headaches. It could be like uh, irritate bowel movement. It could be like the intestine that it's really, you know, like the viscerals that are very irritable and have always difficulties in digestions. Yeah. Um, it could also have be um, epilepsy that I talk about in the book. Yeah. So when we are working with that, because it is like, especially the syndrome, it's it's uh, many symptoms coupled together, yeah. So when people begin to feel some some symptom in their body, usually because we are not present, it's too much. Like you said before, it is too painful. It is too scary. So we don't take time to feel it. So then, of course, it what it goes on and on, and it builds on into another level. See, another symptom, another—I mean, another symptom. Then, after sometimes it's it's a, a coupled symptoms that become a syndrome, which is even more complex. So, this scientific terminology that comes from medical term, really, about prodrome and pre-prodrome. It means just to look at before what has just happened, what happened. That the symptoms, they, you, when you, you experience one symptom, sometimes people get so scared and it is too much. So they're activated. The fall, but it's activated. It's a pain, it is too much. It's trembling, it's too much. It's tension, it's too much. And then all of a sudden the person just get completely, they begin to lose it, but they move into another level of symptom, which after a number of them, then they become a syndrome like epilepsy. I will give an example just as, as an, I explained in the book. Um, the first thing that actually I noticed with people with the epilepsy is that they become so tense. Okay. First of all, it's an, an it's a news they receive, it's a relational problem, anything. They come up with a system of tension. They tense so much. 
Now, as they tense so much, actually they begin to tremble, but they don't, they are not aware of that. And then from tension, they begin to feel tingling because the nervous system itself, it is trying to release some of that energy, but then they are so scared of the tingling, then they tense up a little more. Mm-hmm. Now, so when they tense up a little more, I think this, the nervous system, in order to save our life, the nervous system just does uh, this thing to help the system to, um, how do you call this I'm thinking of the Portuguese word, like a shutdown, mm-hmm. okay? The nervous system helps to shut down the whole system so that the other the person will break into the pieces. And so when it shuts down, it's when the people actually, um, they faint and then they lose their consciousness and then they're taken to the hospital, but after a while they come back. Mm-hmm. So when I work with the people with epilepsy, I begin from the, the, from the tension and mm-hmm. then we undo the tension first. And what, you know, that might take a couple of sessions. Then we come to, and then a little bit, I asked them before you had tension, what happened? Okay, there was a fight or there was a trauma itself. So we work on that. And so then we work with the tension and then we're done. And then we look before the tension. I mean, be, just before you fall down, what happened? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she said, oh, I think I get tingling and it started on my, fingers and before I know it I I don't know anything anymore then I said let's track that down mm-hmm. so we track the the tingling very very close and I make sure we have a lot of resources and presence and as they're tracking the tingling and stay present they the tingling stopped mm-hmm. when the tingling stopped they are so happy because they don't go into fainting anymore Mm -hmm. and they know that they are healed and this happens. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's, you just work with, with it very slowly to go pre the event and then pre this tension and then pre the tingling until you come to a place where the person feel free. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we, we work with uh, the pre, prodrome and prodrome itself. Okay, as you're speaking, Efu, and from what I read in the book, you know, it just really struck me just how these techniques are embedded in different cultures. And so as you're describing this, I'm curious, is it easier to work with clients who come from cultures of belief and magic and spiritual grounding, is it easier to work with people like that than say, you know, people who are from like a very, I don't know, their their family or the, the culture they live in is very, I don't know, um, individualist, very secular. They don't have some kind of connection to something bigger. Cause when you say, and then they are healed and this is how that happens. It makes me think of like, well, that must be a lot easier if you aren't living in a totally skeptical culture all the time. Do you notice cultural differences with your, with your clients and who kind of, how, how they 
they receive this work? Yes, I do. I do definitely. Because it's almost like um, when you have a place where the people want to have a proof of science all the time and they have a very sophisticated way of looking at all. And they say, well, don't play with that kind of, that's a very serious thing. Don't play with that. Then it is very hard, actually. They could actually be healed, but also in their cortical brain, when they don't feel safe enough to trust in their own body and their own belief system too, then also the healing doesn't happen. But the cultures that like where I work here, the women, the people in the community, they're so, they just said, I know, I trust, I'm going to be healed with this. And they look, they said, you know what? I feel good already. <laughs> As you're sitting with them, you're talking with them. So they bring, you know, healing, I really believe, like I mentioned in the book, healing is not as who healed the other person. Healing come also in the container of the person themselves. The readiness, the openness, the, the, the resilience that they have themselves from their own culture. Now I add here, because I work with family constellation, their ancestors connection as well. So what I do, I really just tap into that. I tap into their own energy, into the whatever is there already. And I dance with it together with them. And then they heal themselves and they see that. Because they said, wow. Because this woman, for example, that one woman I attended here, I give an example in the book. She really, and she's quite simple in many ways. When I talk about simplicity, it's like, you know, she, her education is up to grade four, something like that. And she just went home and just she went home. She says, you know what? I'm feeling angry again because I just told her that. And I'm feeling like I am, I'm, get, I'm beginning to, 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 uh, to have tingling. I'm going to apply what effort told me. I will just look at it. Like she's, she's like, Yes, I believe that was very true. This is going to happen. And she looked at it and then they did go, it stopped. And she said, yes, I did it myself. Okay, mm -hmm. you see, she, now she empowered herself by just trusting into that process that she felt while she was with me. Then she called me, she said, hey, I'm healed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. so and then for her, it looks like magic. Mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. it looks like magic it looks like miracle yeah you could be saying that it is science but for them it looks like miracles yeah so mm -hmm. anyway that and and i can give you many other examples with many other cultures that i have worked with that i found that their background of community living together and easily easily welcoming and trusting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm of not having too much complicated sophisticated systems that they rely on they rely more on social engagement mm -hmm. and connection with another human right which mm -hmm. is its own kind of technology which is its own kind of system if you want to apply the science to it do you know what i'm saying like i'm not a person who is mistrustful of the science of somatic experiencing let's say uh however there is a cost to 
pursuing life through this relentlessly skeptical, empirical, and just a pervasively distrustful stance where everything has to be proven and replicatable. Like it, there is a cost and it very often is in human relationships. It is in healing. It is with living life through trauma. So there, there, there does need to be a balance. And you mentioned, um, systemic family constellations. And I, this is the magic. This is the modality I've said so many different times. I'm, I'm really trying to restrain myself from acquiring new modalities. <laughs> but if there was one that I was uh, going to learn, it would be family constellations because I've had such um, profound and magical experiences in them. Uh, I've learned in the last few years that uh, like so many of the um, let's say trending modalities uh, in the West. It's actually rooted in indigenous practices in Africa. Um, yeah. So it it delights me that it's something that you had already been weaving with SE. So for listeners who are new to the concept of systemic family constellations, can you explain what they are? Yes. So uh, family constellation system therapy. It's a, really it's a modality. It's a method. It's a, it's an approach, yeah? Because even Bert Hellinger, who started it, who founded it from the African roots, he didn't call it therapy at the beginning. He doesn't, he, he was calling it an approach, a communal approach really to healing. And so it is a method that will, that help us, help all of the people who are present at the moment of the movement itself, to see the movement of the spirit or of the soul, of where we are stuck in the conflict. So we have so many conflicts, individual conflict with one another, conflicts among the groups. We have so much physical problems, diseases. We have so much uh, uh, problems financially, we have so much problem in our approach to life. And, you know, all of relationship is even one major way of the conflict. All of that are based on invisible things that we sometimes we focus on some happenings that is right in front of us. But many times it has to do with an invisible other conflicts that happened before, maybe even from our ancestors that we have not looked at. And by doing this process of family constellation system therapy, we are able to witness, we are able to discover that we are all part of the system. And if we are all part of the system, the healing come from the system to all of us. And therefore healing, it's not an individual thing, but healing is the communal process. Mm -hmm. So if I was having conflict with you, if I heal, you heal too. Mm -hmm. so isn't that beautiful? I just love it. When I'm doing sessions here, I always say to people, in these sessions, each one of us here, one or two people, three people will do the process, but all of us who are all observing will be healed. The people whom you're going to meet with today are also going to be healed because you're going to talk to them about this. 
So everybody, even those who have gone to the other side of the world are also being healed. <laughs> and back and forth through time. Yes, 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 yes. So this is how that process healed. Of course, you know, we use representatives, we use objects, we use, you use anything, you use chairs, whatever, to represent the individuals and the energy energy field comes into it and we are able to actually bring awareness to the clients or to the people present in the process. Mm -hmm. That is the awareness. Family constellation, system therapy, heals through awareness. We mm -hmm. need to become aware of where we are stuck. And it's a beautiful um, synergy between SE and constellations because it's easier to do a constellation if you have some self-awareness and you've learned through SE how to do a little bit of tracking and to trust impulses that you don't understand because you are tapping into this larger field and yet SE on its own it does come up against this limit that it's not embedded in the community and it doesn't take in all of the other things that are in the field necessarily and it can be difficult for the person who experienced the trauma to track all of that and so SE, it's almost like it graduates then, or like they have, they form like this beautiful, you know, reinforcing loop where then it's great to take that into constellation work because now others can step into and occupy roles that are, are just maybe too much or too difficult for the person who experienced the trauma to express. Can you set us up an example of like what happens in a systemic um, family constellations therapy session? Yes, I can. Well, um, one one that I can give a very good example, if somebody somebody come, hmm, let's see here, we, we work with groups or we work individual also. With group, as I said, we use other people in representing and with uh, individual, we use elements, different elements, or we can do even drawing. So now somebody come and say, I would like, uh, just give an example of today's work here. I've been trying to get pregnant, but I can't. And it has been many years, and this is really bringing suffering to me, my husband, because we both are trying. We have tried all we can, but it's not happening. So then I said, okay, fine. You don't have to explain any more details. We just give the, yeah. then I invite them to pay attention to their body. I do SC a little bit to do what? Grounding. You remember we talk about stabilization. So when I bring stabilization into this body, the person become more present, more aware. And even they become immediately to begin to understand what is going on. So then after they have the stabilization through SC, then I invite them to, I, I actually explain a little bit about the orders of love. I think mm -hmm. I mentioned about that. And the orders of love has to do with, we call them, there are three orders of love. Beth Helling uh, conceptualized those as he was learning from the Zulu people in South Africa, as he lived among them in the community. 
he realized that everything in the world has order. And one of the order is you have to reverence those who came before us. Those who arrived before us, whether it is in life, our ancestors, or at work, those who arrived before you, or in community, those who arrived before you. Whoever arrived before us, you always have more experience in their body and those are like somatic experiences so you have experienced more life and so they they have something more than us so please reverence them and honor them and remember that not that they're better than you but they just have that extra experience so we need to honor them we need to recognize them if we don't think disorganized actually because we make a lot of mistakes that way and then the second order of love is receive so that you may, you, you may be able to give. So there's a balance. If I receive what I was given, I, I am able to give. And who have given us something for the first time? Our parents, right? Mother, father, grandparents. They gave. They gave a lot. We're given basically, let's say, life, strength, how we are, what we are. So we thank you for that. We are given something. And then we feel strong. We can go out and give. Mm. And then the last one is everybody have a right to belong. If we deny anybody right to belong in any group, in any place, the system is organized. The conflicts arise. Those who stay, they won't feel good. And those who were excluded, they won't feel good. So the system totally disorganized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with those three orders of love, Beth Helling is saying, like the love will only flow where those orders are respected. Mm -hmm. When those orders are not respected, they're not respected, the love will not flow. <laughs> so I explained that to our clients a little bit before they begin. And they begin to become aware of that. Then I ask them how they feel in the body again. And then they say, yeah, I'm feeling. I, the client here immediately told me, you know what? I'm realizing that the first order of love is not okay with me. I said, really, tell me more about it. He said, because I cannot stand my mother. We don't talk, we have big conflict. She is very controlling, I guess I am too, and blah, blah, blah. So then I don't go into the story because we no answer from the storytelling, right? You know, from Messi. <laughs> so I invite her to take somebody, to pick somebody to represent the mother and somebody to represent her. That's it, <laughs> she sits. And those people who are asked to represent, they don't know her mother. They've never had anything. They just go there. And then I tell them to notice their body. Everybody keeps quiet. And then they notice the bodily sensations, the movement, the desires in their body. And they follow that, but very slowly. Remember, this is not acting. <laughs> this is a movement of the spirit. And it really happened in a very sometimes strange way. So quite suddenly, one of the women was that well, the one who was represented as a daughter, she started moving backwards like something is pushing her to go over back. 
Then she went behind the mother. And then, of course, when she's behind the mother, what happened there was discovered that she once, she always felt like she was the mother of her mother. And so with that, we worked with that. And it was, both of them felt uncomfortable by the positions. Mm -hmm. So when we bring the grandmother, the grandmother, then the order began to come. The mother felt like going into her place and the daughter went to her place. So now you have these three women. And then suddenly somebody from the group got up and say, I feel like sitting here. Become like this child that the woman was looking for. And so then right there, the mother actually reverenced her mother. I didn't even ask her to do that. And now this woman who came for session reverenced her own mother and went down on the floor, asked for apology for how many times she didn't reverence her mother. The many times she thought she was bigger than her mother. Many times she minimized her mother and she wanted to take care of her mother. And now she has to let go of the mother so she can take care of her own belly, her own uterus, which might generate a new person. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally, you know, makes sense, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and then she looks and somebody just came here and now I'm looking at somebody who will come for me. Mm -hmm. And then of course, I ask her to involve her husband, bring her husband. Home, then they look at each other. If there was there was a little conflict too, she was not well connected with her husband. Then they connected well. They resolved some conflict they had. Well, this was just a couple of weeks ago. She came yesterday. She said she went to do exams. She's pregnant. What? Okay, I believe it because I've experienced these miracles. But what? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, that's it. I mean, it, could, it was a little longer, but. It's hard for people to understand. So that's why I want to just go. Yeah. I wanted to work it. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank Well, how long is a session like that? Well, you, oh, you know, you can never give it a time. Some yeah. sessions I take 10 to 15 minutes is done. Mm -hmm. Some session we take half an hour. Some session takes a little bit more like, I, I don't go more than 45 minutes. Yeah. If okay. it's going to go more than 45 minutes, I always stop and tell the client to sit with it. And sometimes mm -hmm. they come back, they tell me there was a solution within the city. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, but, it's really a magical, wonderful process, but there is something that can be challenging. You know, when I read your book, I was like, okay, yeah, this, this would land differently if I came from a culture that A, had a fundamental sense of trust in the earth, in the spirit of all things, who, you know, who could trust processes. And when, and so it is a little bit difficult from a book to understand this, but when you see it unfold, you use the word strange. It's like, yes, these strange things happen of literally just people who are potentially all strangers walking around a circle, kind of just standing, trying to find the place where they feel comfortable. And the facilitator is noticing the energy between them. And it is it is quite astonishing. I, I'm estranged from my mother have been for almost 15 years and I am very often chosen to be a representative in a constellation that ends up being about mother daughter things. 
<laughs> and sometimes I'm the mother, sometimes I'm the daughter, but you know, I'm just sitting there as a casual observer and somebody will say, you, I think I want to choose you. And next thing you know, I'm empathizing with my own mother kind of through the body. So it's, it is, uh, the orders of love can be a bit challenging for those of us who had abusive parents, etc. But you write in the book, um, you know, even if a person, let's say you don't write this, but you say is like pretty terrible, let's say they were very abusive, they still actually have a right to belong in the system. And it's because they are in the system, you can't actually remove people from this system of life, they, they were born, they are, it's a fact, but you say, um, that person still has the right to belong in the family system. People are responsible for their actions and their decisions. Their attitudes may diminish their credibility, reliability, and even their proximity towards others. However, they still belong to their family system. There's no like erasing these people. So Constellations is a beautiful way to incorporate and be inclusive if you can't if, if, you know if it's still right for you in your life to keep distance between you and your parent you can you could still use constellations as a as a way to as you say reverence the yeah. reality and the, the the rightness of who came first they do just have kind of bigger earthly energy because they've been here longer and they brought you in you know you can't really deny these things can you no you can't yeah. yes yeah and yeah, it's order. It's order. Mm -hmm. If we don't have order, there's chaos. So that's what happened. Oh my gosh, exactly. And like, hence, yeah, what else is trauma response for chaos, right? You also wrote in your book that where you grew up, which was a small village in Tanzania in the 60s and 70s, you didn't have a word for the concept of depression. You wrote that you hadn't even heard of depression until you arrived in the United States and Brazil in the early 90s. But even without that concept, processes like SE and family constellations work so well across cultures because, as we mentioned, they're rooted in indigenous practice like um, the Zulu community that Hellinger, I believe he was a missionary, um, he, he, yeah. he translated to the Western audience. So when you're working in more collectivist places like Brazil or Turkey or other parts of the world, do you find this work like translates more easily um, like how much do you actually use the language of polyvagal theory and trauma in collectivist cultures? Like you mentioned, you said, you, you know, this client is like a fairly simple person who prayed for, do you, do you actually t tell them about the science? Like, is there something useful you think in describing? And now we have this research that sh demonstrates why this is helpful. Like, do you think there should be a merging of these things? Or do you think it's better to kind of keep the culture intact, having more of a communal and um, even spiritually reverent culture around healing? We should be merging. I don't think I am sure it's good to be merging because it feels it feels like it merged inside of me, you know. Like I came from, I really understand that it was meant to be come from that culture which was so traditional. Come to New York where I felt like I was lost. And then I found my way. <laughs> then I come to Brazil. And then I I learned, I I learned about family constellation and I felt like I, I went back home again. But then I went back home with some other knowledge of science. Mm. So I, it 
integrated it all. So when I talk to people about being, uh, looking like looking at each other and facing each other and, you know, like orienting to one another, I'm talking about polyvagal theory. But talking about the tribal group that always do their meetings in a circle where they want everybody to see everybody else. And the circle has to be perfect and nobody can sit in, in my community also, nobody could sit behind anybody else when they have to talk about something because in the behind is the place of the ancestors. So you cannot sit in the place of the ancestors, right? And also be, being behind other people, it's almost like you are doing something wrong with them. So you have to be seen. Everybody have to be seen here in front. So, I mean, within that time, there was nobody understood polyvagal, like social engagement was important, but we were doing it. <laughs> so now we have a science giving it the name and saying that it is important. So I, I tell people, yes, this is happening. It is how it should be happening. And I tell people, and the science is proving it, is proving what we are doing. Or maybe we should prove the science that we knew it before them. You know, we make <laughs> jokes stuff like that. <laughs> so we never knew this before them because we always did things this way. The only, I would say the only disadvantage, not disadvantage, the only difference is when they talk about it in the science, they write it and it spread. When we are talking, we are using it in our tribal, it stays only in the tribal unless somebody like me go out and bring it out. You know what I mean? So that is one of the disadvantage things that maybe even these tribal, tribal things, they remain there until someone like Bert Helling goes there and bring it out. Right. right. It's reminding me of the second order of love, being able yeah. to have balance between giving and receiving. Exactly. So the merging is kind of like, like the, the, um, you know, more relational, what you you describe as tribal approach is mentoring yeah. the science scientific yeah. approach to kind of recognize that yeah, this is ancient and you're forgetting the ancestors and like that's yeah. actually the thing <laughs> and yeah. and and yet this kind of more um yeah the western approach of wanting to take out and like disseminate and replicate yeah. everywhere it's kind of like okay well you need to bring the the ancestors with you when you do that that kind of thing yes 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 you're right no you're right there we need to bring the ancestors with it it's beautiful so we are measuring and now as we are measuring we need to meet in the middle place of equilibrium and respect and and maybe honor those who came before so who knew this before let's honor the ancestors because they came before us and they knew this even if you are a scientist and you discover discover it today or ago, you have to honor the ancestors who lived like thousands of years ago something like that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. remember Amazing. that they knew that before mm -hmm. <laughs> In the book, you also talk about um, healing quite a bit. You use the language of healing, but you say being healed is different from being cured. Can you share yeah. a little bit more about that difference? Why is it important to seek healing, even if maybe there's no cure for your illness, like COVID or, or cancer or something like that? Why, why would we still seek healing? What do you mean by that? 
Okay, so healing, what I mean by this is that, you know, when you are healed, you are, there's a harmonious movement of energy that comes into this. When you are healed, your awareness is intact, is in tuned. And then you see things in a different way. When you are healed, the meaning of life is different. Because before we are healed, we have a meaning of life with a lot of things that pre even preconceived ideas come into it. Because trauma, like when before we traumatized, maybe we were okay. After the trauma, we create a meaning of trauma, something like don't ever trust anybody. Don't trust those white people, don't trust those black people, don't trust those people like this. And that is from trauma. So healing is being able to overcome all of those meaning that are fixated in trauma. Cure, when you cure your food, you cure cough, you cure headache, you cure this. You know, the illness that like, like the way the doctors have different compartments. You go to this doctor, you heal your you heal your lungs, and you go to that doctor and you heal your stomach, and you go to the other doctor, you heal your foot, you know. So those are parts. You heal that. You, I mean, you cure that. Sorry, I'm talking about cure. You cure that foot, lung, but but still your system is stuck somewhere else. Yeah. So what I'm talking about, we have to learn how to heal beyond the cure. Like we're healing the whole body system and the entire family system and the entire society system and the entire universe. This is what we are aiming to because then we know we're saying that we are all one. So if I heal myself, I, would, I, I have a desire to heal the people there in the... Um, Israel and Gaza who are killing each other, that healing should go there too, because this is part of the universe that I live in. You know what I mean? So, so this aspect of healing should come into our awareness when we are healed. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we are running around looking for cure. Right, right. right. And so there's a wholeness to it and an inclusiveness to it. And it's not just, I wanna be free from these symptoms, it's that I want everyone to be included in this well-being. Yes, it's the well-being. It's the holistic system, holistic way of looking at health and looking at people and looking at diet and looking at so many things. And then that, that way, everything in the universe and surrounding me and around, and those I'm looking at, they're all healed in this one. It's not just about one symptom. Mm -hmm. So the last question, as always on the podcast, is how are you currently coping with grief and rage, Ethel? How Can you say that again? Sorry. How are you coping with grief and rage these days? Yeah. I, I do SE. That's all just, yeah. So if I don't often watch TV, but if I happen to read the news, the TV, it's terrible how they keep repeating the same thing. But if I, I read some news, yes, about what is going on, if it's about 
Russia and Ukraine, it's about, you know, always in our neighborhood too. I hear somebody was just killed last night, you know. Yeah, of course I feel that anger coming out and rage, but then I do a see, I say, okay, I can feel my feet coming up. I can feel my fist making, coming up. So I sit, I leave what I'm reading and I notice my body. I sit more comfortably. Ah, I orient myself. I say, you know what? In this present moment, there's nobody to fight with. Mm. It's just me. Then I let go of the fight. And then as I, again, use all the resources we talked about before, right? I use all the resources around me because I am safe. I'm happy here. But those people is for real. They're suffering. So instead of having rage here because people are suffering there, I'm calming down the rage until there's a well-being in my system. And when I have a well-being, I actually take a deep breath and I send the breath out to that place where people are really suffering. Mm -hmm. I, 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 and I just intentionally say that I am a kind of sending love to you. I'm sending healing to you. I'm sending uh, well-being to you. I'm sending care for you. You know, I'm sending all of that to you all so that you can also feel well, just like I feel well here where there's nothing is happening right now. That's mm -hmm. what I do. And from time to time, maybe once or twice or three times a day, I send energy to people who are in the world. Oh, I read news and immediately I stop. First of all, get rid of the anger and all these other stuff or fear. And then I take deep breaths and I send my breath there. And so I feel like I'm participating in healing. Mm -hmm. that. mm -hmm. That's how I cope with all that. Mm, it sounds very prayerful. It also sounds like you have deep resourcing and thank you so much for coming on the show. I know people will now have your voice in, in their hearts as a resource for themselves. Thank you so much for sending your love out into the world and doing that through the show. Thanks for being here today. Thank you very much. You'll find links in the show notes to the upcoming BIPOC cohort of the SE training in January 2024 that Efu mentioned, as well as to Efu's book, Healing Trauma Through Family Constellations and Somatic Experiencing, Ancestral Wisdom from the Snail Clan of Tanzania. I found it really helpful to read a book about SE and family constellations by an elder from an indigenous lineage. There are very few titles in this genre like that. I can think of some famous ones off the top of my head, but um, it's just so helpful to have more examples of this because the framing of the work is so different from anything else on the shelf. Um, it helps make sense of things that I noticed when working with clients who were people of the global majority. One example, and this comes from before I had actually attended my first family constellation session. Um, but so occasionally in attachment repatterning work with clients, I had already instinctively been using these large rocks on a desk desktop to represent 
members of a family or to represent relationship dynamics. And so sometimes I would have the client select rocks to represent themselves and others and had this altar cloth and we would use that to kind of represent the environment. And I would just tell them to like place the rocks on the cloth or even off the cloth to just illustrate how the family dynamic felt to them and find the proximity you know, like how distant or far do you want these rocks to be together? And so one time I was working with a client whose parent had been really, really awful to them, like almost unspeakably abusive. And so the client, she placed her own rock down and then the parents rock down and then other family members. And at one point I asked, what would it be like if you put more distance between you and your parent? And she just looked at me blankly, like, what do you mean? And, and so this is where I made my first mistake. This is why, you know, I should have probably, (laughs) this was just me being, you know, improvisational as a therapist. It turns out as so often is the case, anything instinctively or intuitively I've been doing, somebody's turned it into a modality. And sometimes this is good because you get training that gives you, um, guardrails so that you don't make mistakes. And I made a mistake. What I did was I picked up her parents' rock and I just moved it off the cloth. And it was almost like the client was attached to this parent rock with an imaginary string. I moved the parents' rock away from her and she leaned towards it. Like she just like followed it. It was it it, it was quite stunning to witness. <laughs> And I immediately recognized my mistake, like I shouldn't have touched her rocks, right? And I was like, oh, oh, never mind. And then I went to move the rock back, but I actually moved it a little bit closer to her than she had originally placed it. And now it was like reverse polarity on a magnet. She leaned back with the rock. It was like she was attached to this rock with maybe not a cord. It was like a steel bar. It had to stay exactly that distance. And as I moved it away, she would lean. As I moved it towards, she would lean back. And so I I put the rock back into the exact original place and then she just sat like straight up and down in what I would describe as tense, like, but that was kind of her just overall, always (laughs) constant tension. So it was made vividly clear to me that the distance was right sized, like she had established the dynamic and the proximity with her parent that was correct for her. But there was something about pressure from the outside influences, you know, outside influences trying to make her feel guilty about having this rigidity or distance in the relationship. Outside influences like me, who were kind of like non-verbally pressuring her to like, you know, create more distance or just have more boundaries. And that was going against, you know, the larger culture of her collectivist heritage. Um, There's also, you know, a greater social influence of the taboo around estrangement from a parent. So there's all of these things that are really challenging to manage. It was a lot of tension for her trying to manage these dynamics. You could see it in her soma, in her body. And I, as a white practitioner, and as a person who just couldn't imagine maintaining any kind of relationship with someone who was horribly abusive, I just couldn't understand, like in my bones, how it felt for her. And because it wasn't in my bones, that kind of knowledge, 
when I'm acting intuitively, instinctively, impulsively in the moment, it, it like did not work for her. <laughs> and it really underscored for me that even though as a white practitioner, you know, I have a ton of advantage and privilege in certain ways, but I was missing this huge piece of epistemic privilege. Um, epistemic privilege is the idea that certain kinds of knowledge are only available to you. Like we can only know what we have knowledge that only we can have is what I'm trying to say. And so like at the individual level, it's like your own thoughts and interiority. No one else has access to your unique, unique way of perceiving the world because only you have the specific amalgamation of experiences you've had. The flip side of epistemic privilege is epistemic humility. You know, we don't know what we don't know. Put more elegantly, it's the idea that true wisdom is only possible when we reckon with the gaps and limitations of our own knowledge. I'm going to link to a great article by uh, Dr. Lynn Sargent of the blog Moral Guillotines if you want to learn more about epistemic privilege and humility. Anyway, the point is, I can't know what it's like to be brought up in a collectivist culture. I can imagine, but I don't have it in my bones. I can't know what it's like to be racialized. And so, of course, yes, I can still offer a lot of support and assistance to my clients of the global majority, but I also need to recommend sometimes that they work with an elder, ideally of their heritage, or at least who shares their BIPOC identity, because even if I don't misattune to them on something really crucial, it's just even just the draining them of energy through my miscalculations or microaggressions, you know, from just my gaps, that constant draining of energy, the amount that they have to like teach and explain to me, the exhaustion of that can't be underestimated. And healing can be exhausting enough, right? So I'm pretty aware of systemic oppression when it comes to cultural competence. I might even be a little bit more competent than the average practitioner, but I make mistakes. And it's usually because I just don't know in my bones what it's like to track the multitude of perspectives that are relevant in a collectivist setting. So I have to work extra hard. Um, and even as much as I'm, I'm working, it's not enough. And so this is one of the many reasons why we need more practitioners who are people of the global majority who are BIPOC. Um, and of course, we need more culturally competent and epistemically humble white practitioners. Um, Anyway, hey, do you want to do some facilitator training with me in 2024? Make sure you're on my newsletter. I'm leading level one and level two facilitator trainings in the spring where we're going to cross-pollinate ideas and techniques from somatic trauma recovery, from attachment theory, queer theory, deep democracy. And of course, all of this is underpinned uh, by my approach to collapse awareness and my framework for our role as therapeutic helpers in the context of ongoing social and environmental collapse. It's actually going to be way more fun than it sounds. <laughs> sign up for my newsletter to get more details in the new year. You sign up at carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.